Hey everyone, I'm back, at least on camera. Today I'm going to talk about Hannah Arendt's criticisms of Karl Marx and Marxism. But before jumping into it, hi, I'm David. I explain philosophical concepts and ideas and ways to make them accessible to you. So if you're new here, you can go and see my more than 300 episodes I already have up. You can subscribe, see videos I release every single week, sometimes twice a week. If you found this on YouTube, you're going to be able to find it just in podcast form pretty much anywhere where you get podcasts under all the same names, titles, whatever, uh, where there shouldn't be any ads either. So that's cool. Uh, if you want to help me out, you can help me out by liking, sharing, subscribing, by helping out monetarily via Patreon or PayPal, but obviously no pressure. You can follow me on Instagram at theory underscore and underscore philosophy if you want to do that. Links for all of these things in the descriptions. Yeah, let's jump into Hannah Arendt's criticism of Marx and Marxism, mostly found within the human condition. Now, I normally don't offer my own opinions about things, uh, but Hannah Arendt just misses the mark entirely here, uh, with the asterisk that I will insert being that she, there are some insight that I think is valuable. But on the whole, I'm on Marx's side in this discussion. Marx never had the chance to defend himself against these charges, uh, so we can do it. We can defend Marx. While also highlighting some of the points that Arendt gives us that are actually, I think, quite valuable to further Marx's project or to identify the shortcomings within it. So this is coming out of her text, The Human Condition, which does many things. Uh, it is trying to find some kind of human ontology in, in modern life, try to understand humans' relationship with labor, with politics, with religions, so on. And one of the more specific insights she gives us is a distinction between what she calls labor, work, and action. So in this text, she says that labor refers to the basic human necessities that we have to do, like feeding ourselves, cleaning ourselves, like having shelter, you know, the very basic stuff that humans need in order to survive or need to do in order to survive. Work, on the other hand, refers to the act of creating objects that will exist apart from us as purely natural beings. So when I say natural beings, I mean things that live in the world and just try to provide for themselves based off of subsistence, that is just providing for our basic needs. Work refers to those activities of production that create objects, that create possible people who can exist in the world that do more than just provide for the basic necessities. And this is where or how Arendt suggests that world making can happen because people create things that they come to associate with their culture, with their identity, and so on. Now, action is the domain in which people engage in direct political discourse and discussion in order to shape the world they've built, in order to move it in new directions. So these are three elements of what make humans humans. And it shouldn't be construed as being like a linear process where you have to satisfy you know, labor to move to work to then do action. Like, I think that you could read some elements of Arendt's thought pointing that way, but I think it's more complicated, but that's not totally important here. Now, what she also offers us is that there needs to be a very firm distinction between various different realms in our lives what she calls the private realm, which is like the household, where you're supposed to be alone, where you can think for yourself, 
versus the public realm. A place where you come and meet with other people who've come from their private spaces in order to discuss things, to challenge one another, and to grow as thinking and arguing uh, beings. Now, she, she suggests throughout the course of this text, or like toward the end, that the distinction between the public and the private realm have collapsed in favor of the social, the social realm, where there isn't a distinction between the two, where people don't have the opportunity to just think anymore. You know, you, they're always being bombarded with new information, with new ideas, with different people all the time. They have no time for themselves, which means as well that politics and that argumentation and that thinking can't, can't properly occur, which is something that she laments. She very much does not like this development into the social. So here's the necessary points of the human condition that she gives us and that she's going to use to counter Marx's arguments. Now, having established this distinction at first between labor, basic human necessity stuff, work, the production of things that you know can create our world, and action, yeah, political, uh, political action really, Arendt suggests that Marx conflates work and labor. And so she gives us many different examples in Marx where he suggests that humans are laboring creatures. And this isn't just Marx. Before Marx with Adam Smith and with, with Locke even, there are examples in which they demonstrate that human labor is the fundamental source of all possible value. It is the source of human society. You must have people laboring in order to make a world. So Marx identifies that humans are laboring animals. Now the ultimate goal for Marx, at least according to Arendt, because here we're gonna, I'm already starting to uh, put on my suspicion mask, but in any case, according to Arendt, Marx's final goal, or the goal he saw for capitalist society was to finally end up in the liberation of people from labor in order to open up the possibility for communism, where people would be freed from having to satisfy the basic necessities of life themselves, they would have them provided for them, in order to open themselves up to freedom. Because if you don't have to worry about where your food's gonna come from, if you're gonna have shelter, you can then start worrying about you know, whether or not there are gods, so you can worry about how to best conduct political affairs and so on. This is Marx's vision according to Arendt which has some glimmers of truth to it, but it, any Marxist would know it's a lot more complicated than that. But in order to do that, to liberate humans from labor as the necessities in life, according to Marx, what we need to see happen is firstly an acknowledgement of a consistency in our understanding of labor among all workers, where all workers are conducted or are participating in this thing called labor and so this is the uniting factor that can bring them all together. Hence the catchphrase, workers of the world unite. Despite cultural difference, despite political, religious difference, what unites all of these people is their acting as laborers in a capitalist economy. So what does that mean? It means that their labor power is being exploited by somebody else so that somebody else is earning money off of the things that the laborers produce. Now Marx sought to counter this by identifying what was actually necessary in terms like use value, 
where he thought that there were these very, there's a very firm distinction. And again, I'm really quoting Arendt here, thinking about Marx. There isn't a firm distinction, but in any case for Arendt, between Marx, within Marx, there's a firm distinction between use value and exchange value. A use value is a value that can, uh, uh, the element of an object that can be used for a purpose, whereas an exchange value is just the value it has when it is on the market. What value can it get when it is being exchanged, which isn't like a real value, it's almost superficial. So Arendt reads this as Marx saying that there are superficial values, exchange values, and then there are use values that are more legitimate. And that if we harness the power, or if we focused on these just these use values, we can liberate ourselves from being concerned with these fanciful, unnecessary exchange values. And if we focus all our energy here, suddenly we could provide for everyone very easily and not have to worry about providing extra for a few capitalists who are going to reap all the benefits. Now in all this, Arendt is concerned that Marx is actually not able to supply his readers with a proper understanding of what it then means to be human, because he suggests that these activities are just being laboring activities, really use value, uh, just referring to the bare needs and subsistence that people uh, need. There's actually nothing different then between humans and animals. And Marx even goes so far as, to, far as to say, and this is from theories of surplus value, that there's really no distinction between Milton and a silkworm in that Milton wrote Paradise Lost, a silkworm will weave uh, silk, and they are just working by their nature. They are just both doing things according to their nature. And this raises alarm bells for Arendt because it's completely bracketing off all of those other parts of human existence that go beyond just our activities of production, of laboring, like those activities of artistic production, of political action, of creativity, of genius, that exist above and beyond what people do as just laborers. So she sees in Marx a desire to reduce all people to a state of what Agamben might call bare life, reducing them only to their life functions, that is, to their only being able to provide for themselves, their only uh, being able to realize themselves, at least in relationship to the things around them, the objects around them, whether or not those things have a use value according to the way Marx has characterized what are necessary things and what are not necessary things. And Marx does try to get around this issue, that is the issue between offering a distinction between humans and animals when he says that the difference between a bee and an architect is that an architect is going to use their imagination before building a thing, before making it. Whereas a bee is just gonna work by pure natural evolutionary instinct in order to build their nest. But this idea about imagination doesn't really come up again. If anyone's read a lot of Marx, uh, it doesn't appear all that often. So Arendt focuses on this as being like a strange moment where Marx tries to backpedal, tries to find a way out of the conundrum that he's created in order to understand like what the point of the communist move is. Because surely, because we also find in Marx a desire not to go backwards in time to a state of just satisfying basic needs, but in moving forward. But if Marx is characterizing the path forward as being one in which humans only have their basic necessities met, it doesn't seem like very much into the future. 
it seems more like a regression toward the past, at least according to Arendt. So for Arendt, and I think that this is just true of Marx, he viewed political action and culture, identity, religion, as being part of this superstructure, as being derivative to, derivative of, derivative to, derivative of, whatever, derivative to laboring, as being something that was a product of laboring, where laboring holds the prime, primary position in human relations, that is their economic conditions setting the stage for what can possibly happen above laboring, beyond it in the realm of politics, or religion, or culture. Now Arendt says that this idea is not totally revolutionary within Marx and that there were actually examples of it beforehand with Smith all the way back to even Plato where there were these efforts to try to subsume entirely different categories into a homogenous mass. So at the beginning when I said that Arendt feared a collapsing of the private and the public realm just into the what she calls the social, she sees that on full display in Marx where there is a desire to dissolve everything that is private in favor of just a pure public work system, in favor of just a pure public society or socialized one, where she says that if that happens, it is going to be done just to reduce people to a homogenous mass and they're going to be forced to adopt certain values. Now she doesn't really get into this in a lot of detail here. We'll get more indication of it within the origins of totalitarianism. But there she says that we can see why Marx can serve as a precursor to totalitarianism insofar as he's trying to reduce people to a homogenous category to find what is universal among them and make all people comply with that universal diagnosis. That is reducing all people to laboring, to being laborers, to having basic needs, and that putting the state in a position to then satisfy all of those needs, therefore rendering the state itself obsolete, which Arendt, in her work, believes to be a precursor to, or one possible precursor to, totalitarianism, when the state has dissolved away. Now, don't worry, I'm going to criticize Arendt very soon. This is just what she gives us so far. Now, all of this reveals a broader contradiction within Marx's work for Arendt, in that Marx sees the final goal of communism being the effort or the process by which humans have liberated themselves from labor. While on the same, the same token, on the same side, he's suggesting that laboring is what make humans humans. It is the origin of all possible value. It is what humans need to do in order to build themselves up, in order to push them into a higher order of freedom that might be foreclosed to animals or to other species. So on the one hand, he identifies labor as a necessary part of human existence, while on the other hand, he is suggesting we must move beyond it, which Arendt has a lot of trouble understanding. Now what Arendt would prefer instead would be an acknowledgement of the way that labor and work, the production of goods, operate in order to allow humans to realize their visions for themselves and the world so that they can build themselves up, so that they can develop a connection with the world. And we see similar type of argument in the work of Simone Weil, where Simone Weil argues that we need to find ways to lay down roots within our world in order to have an attachment to it. Arendt suggests that by laboring, by working, you actually develop roots, you actually place down roots in, in a world that you can then feel attached to. If that is suddenly taken away, 
people would feel alienated from their world. So her problem is not so much with being alienated from production, but being alienated from a world, which is for her a lot more concerning because people would grow to be apathetic. People would grow to be dissatisfied. People would grow angry and they won't be able to then realize their full potential as humans in proper political action and in the life of the mind. Now to finish off my presentation of Arendt's criticisms, she goes so far as to say that the idea that people can be liberated from their work will only mean that people will grow greedy if they've been liberated from having to work. They will grow greedy. They will only consume more and more to satisfy that itch to actually be productive and to work, which is really just the mask has totally come off. We see, we see entirely uh, just the reactionary elements of Arendt's thought. And this is coming from me, if anyone's watched this, I like certainly large swaths of Arendt's work, but there are some huge problems with Arendt. Now, before I get into that, I wanna point out some of the things that I actually find kind of useful that Arendt gives us that can help us better orient a Marxist project to understand what a more egalitarian Marxist project might look like. So when Arendt says that there is a reduction of all people to the state of laborers within Marx, or at least all working people to the state of laborers, there is the risk that various cultural differences are going to be erased in favor of a universal quality that is meant to take over those cultural differences, meant to transcend them, which is problematic for a number of reasons. For one, if we imagine communism as being a system in which people's basic needs are going to be met, we have to ask some fundamental questions about what will happen with other things like education. Are we going to learn about, like in my context in Canada, are we going to learn about indigenous peoples or some indigenous nations' uh, health care practices as being the ones we will adopt in a communist society? Are we going to adopt Rwandan education? Are we going to adopt Finnish philosophy? You know, I'm just throwing names out there. And that we have to be careful the way that the process will unfold will not just simply replicate a European notion of the world and just try to extend that vision of the world everywhere. And Marx is very much guilty of this. Marx, you know, went so far as to say that the people of India needed European British colonization to liberate them from their old ways of living in the world, their, just their traditions, because he viewed them as being backwards, as being caught in time, which is just a very Eurocentric way of looking at the world and how human history unfolds, unravels. So I think it's super important to criticize Marx and to be very careful of the ways in which his work actually replicates the very oppressive systems he tries to oppose and to challenge. Now, the problems with Arendt. Arendt doesn't understand the distinction between production and alienated production, where she, she suggests that labor or labor and alienated labor. She doesn't seem to grasp that there is a distinction between labor that is conducted for oneself or one's family or one's community versus labor that is conducted for the benefit of a capitalist which I think is the most embarrassing part of her criticism, that she does acknowledge it, but her acknowledgement of it doesn't seem to extend in the way that her polemic, her argument unfolds. So what Marx tells us is not that labor is the same everywhere, it's that under the capitalist system, 
you are not actually going to be attached to the thing that you make because someone else is going to be selling it and earning profit off of it. You are removed from that thing. So in one footnote in the human condition, Arendt just says that alienation is not really a thing. It's not, it's not important to consider in the realm of production, which is totally absurd given that it is what is the bedrock of the capitalist system. It is, is absolutely necessary in order for the capitalist system to function. And for her to ignore that is to simply reveal the extent to which she is not familiar with Marx and was not equipped to actually engage in this type of criticism. Now, moreover, Arendt has a pretty spotty relationship with Greek society where she very much romanticizes the Greeks as though slavery wasn't endemic to that society as though their political systems were not predicated upon slaves and enslaved people, I should say. So it seems to me that, of course, you all know this, she's much more of a reactionary than an actual critic, an actual valuable critic, I think, when it comes to understanding Marx. Moreover, she had pretty problematic views about segregation within the United States. She was very much pro-segregation, which, like, it's indefensible. She very much loved uh, two-party uh, Republican systems, where we know very much the horrors of these types of systems, especially as they have, t have demonstrated in the 21st century in the way the United States has, conflicted, has inflicted harms against Iraq, Afghanistan, all of these many other countries in that part of the world. And so there is a naive belief that somehow Marxism is going to usher in something that is really bad compared to what she holds to be very good. And her concern for a socialized life, one in which the private and the public realms have collapsed into one another, reveals the extent to which she's just speculating as to the result of an actual communist emergence, or the emergence of a communist society, where she was able to say whatever she wants, and she can point to historical examples like those in Russia, like under Stalinist Russia, for example, and suggest that they are indicative of the Marxist trajectory, when that couldn't be further from the truth, of course. She also just doesn't seem to understand the way that dialectic progression seems to happen. She is trying to subsume the world under her own universal categories of republicanism, mostly, but even in the way that she characterizes the firm distinction between private and public life, where she says the private refers to the household, where you can be alone and think, and the public is where you can go and you know, enact the thought that you have conducted in the private realm, already assumes a number of things, like there is such a distinction between the two. And for there to have been a distinction between the two refers only to a certain stage in historical human development that is not applicable universally. There are many cultures in which these distinctions did not exist. Certainly the insight of many feminists that came about in the 70s and 80s in the United States revealed that these things are not so neatly separated. The private very much is public, and the public very much is private. Things that happen in one will affect the other. And these things are not separated. And it just seems like a, a naive romanticization to think that people can be, that all society can be just divided, butchered into these two broad categories without there being um, more of an acknowledgement of the way that they organically flow together. Asterisk, she does say that there is some 
spill over from one to the other, but it's very limited deep down in the text. In any case, I'd love to hear what everyone else has to say about this. Like, obviously, uh, people are going to have lots of problems with Arendt. I think there are lots of problems with Arendt. There are also elements of Arendt's thought that I think is super important that, that we should take very seriously. Doesn't mean that she's not wrong about Marx, but if anyone has anything else that I excluded or I got wrong, I'd love to hear about it. If you like what I did, like, share, subscribe, tell your friends, who knows, they might get a kick out of it. Or I've heard my voice is soothing. I can help them fall asleep. If you know you have a friend with insomnia, you can like, share, subscribe, that'd help me out a lot. Yeah, on that note, take care.